I'm Mark Madden. Thank you for joining me, as always, at my kitchen in my palatial Pittsburgh PA home. Ric Flair couldn't be here this week due to his travel schedule, so we're going to give you a best of. We could wrap up the Royal Rumble, but you know what happened. You go on the internet, you check out, well, the dirt sheets. They're online now. You know what's been going on, and Rick and I will talk about that next week. But right now, we're going to go back in time in Rick's history as a podcaster, and we're going to bring you some great moments from the Ric Flair archives. First off, we got Ric Flair talking to the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. This is way back in 2015. Ric Flair and the man who beat him for the WWE title to end Ric's second reign, it's the hitman, Bret Hart, and they're going to talk about some of the alleged criticisms. Uh, <laughs> we've got the greatest in here right now. We've got Bret the Hitman Hart on the line with us here on Woo Nation at Play.it. And I guess we should just go ahead and address the elephant in the room. In years past, Brett, you've been critical of some of Rick's matches, and I realize everybody's getting along these days, so I don't really want to stir it up, so to speak. But how do you think you guys' philosophies differ towards wrestling or what makes a good match, and how did you guys just see things differently through the years? And you can say say whatever you want to say, and we'll still be text buddies. It's a little bit taken out of context, I think, a little bit. What I would say is that... uh, we just have sort of just overlapping errors. You know, his error and my error just are very close. I mean, I was a guy that, like he said, when he was talking about Randy, you know, I could always go in the ring and call a match out there. I didn't need to even plan anything like zero. I'd go out and do an hour match with Rick. I don't think we was ever talking, without ever talking to him before we went out. <clears throat> and I could do that with Rick um, at any given time. At the same time, I was also part of the dynamite kid and a different generation that was going a lot faster and doing a lot more uh, sort of intricate uh, new high spots that weren't sort of the same ones that cause there was a period of time, you know, through the Dory Funk era and even the Harley era, a lot of guys just worked like them. A lot of them, people just took the same bumps, the same style that basically had the same match Harley had before he went out. And that was just a style that everyone picked up. It was a good, safe style, but it was, when I thought when, in, say, in the, you know, the 80s, early 80s, that um, in Calgary, that we started being a little more creative with um, actual working, where it was a little stiffer, a little more believable. Dynamite was an incredible uh, wrestler that long before he ever got to WWE, the stuff he was doing here in Calgary was... Uh, you know, ahead of its time. And uh, so I learned from some good guys a, a little more of a different style, which I think, you know, I, I didn't have the pleasure of working with just American wrestlers. Like, uh, say, Rick worked with a lot of American guys, you know, the best workers in the States where I, you know, worked with guys in England and worked with Japanese guys and Puerto Ricans and a lot of different styles and stuff like that. And uh, I just think that when, when my time came, after Rick's time was sort of still wrestling um the, you know the the way they they call it in there they figure it out on the fly and that's what makes the that's the genius of of those days and i knew that from you know harley and i worked just i actually started as that era was changing a little bit and i think um i don't know maybe i was a pioneer or something with uh, dynamite and some of these guys that started taking wrestling in a, in a little bit of a different direction and picking up the speed and uh, 
you know, I always say that when the Bulldogs came to the WWE, for example, in, uh, in 84, I think it was 85, you know, everybody started working harder, and that's just the way the style changed. And I think the business got better after that. I think it just was the natural you know, path that the wrestling was going to take, and wrestling kind of upped a little bit after uh, in the 80s. And I'm sure Rich got his own thoughts on it. Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm the first to admit when you wrestle an hour every night, which I did for 10 right. years, you know, you get into a routine, you know, and you hope that the guy you're working with is just a little bit over. Because sometimes if it's not, <laughs> it could be a long hour. Well, in fairness, too, a lot of that, when you were doing those hour matches, weren't on cable every week. So it's not like the same people are seeing the same match every week. No, but you do it in Greensboro. The, the, boys, are, the boys are seeing it. Right, and I, right. And I think that uh, I'm the first to admit. But, but you know, I didn't, I didn't have the blessing of a, a Ricky Steamboat or a Barry Windham every night. You know what I mean? And Harley, even Harley, Harley would let me lead the match. But I wrestled Harley's match. Dory would let me lead the match, you know, after a while, but I wrestled Dory's match. Terry Funk, I, you know, he'd let me lead after a while when he was comfortable, but I wrestled Terry's match. Terry, of course, became so innovative in his own style. I mean, you know, I, I bet you feel the same way, Brett. Terry Funk and Dick Murdoch were way ahead of their time, man, where they could be yeah. such, such serious techni- technical guys. But Murdoch could make people laugh, too, way before anybody else could. I mean, he'd take a bump over the top rope in St. Louis when nobody was doing anything and walk into the turnbuckle and knock himself out. I mean, <laughs> no, no, nobody did that. <laughs> I think in Murdoch, at the same time, Murdoch could get in the ring, and it, technically there weren't too many guys as, as good as Dick Murdoch. Would you agree, Brad? Oh, he was uh, he was a real pro. He oh, was, uh, Jesus. He was one of those kind of guys that you'd love – you loved him in the ring, and you loved him, loved him out of the ring. He was a hilarious character outside the ring. Oh, no, it's tremendous very, to very be with. funny. He had a dry sense of humor. Uh, yeah. Sarcastic. He was a very funny. You, you, you could have um, followed him around all day and always had a laugh. With yeah, him. I did. <laughs> For three years. Then I got rid of him when he came to the Carolinas. <laughs> the, the redneck. But he was, uh, God, I tell you, um, Murdoch, I mean, he had his style too, but he, everything he did from the stomp, you know, turning your face sideways and stomping you in the head to his punches, everything he did looked phenomenal. I mean, you can't pick apart any of his stuff. And, uh, but at the same time, he do a knee drop off the top rope that looked unbelievable. Exactly. And he's one of the few guys, he's one of the few guys you'd take it from too, him and Ray. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to move. You, know, no. you just know that he was always a safe. Safety was always uh, mm-hmm. Dick Murdoch's uh, priority. You never, I don't remember him ever being even stiff, but just no. a, a super player to work with every night. Yeah, no, and, and the thing, too, is that if you think about it, um, this is a guy that ne- he was like Ray Stevens. He never went to the gym, never right. worked out. I mean, Harley never went to the gym, never worked out. I mean, these guys, you know, where Brett and I are in this, added, this era were – Cosmetics are everything. I mean, you know, we're, we're, you know, you know, I'm wrestling Kerry Von Erich one night, Steamboat the next. I mean, help me out, right? Right. Then along comes Luger, right? And, and all the Von Erich boys, you know, with the exception of David, were built, you know, like crazy. And then got Luger, and then here comes the Road Warriors. I mean, the cosmetic thing kind of turned it around for all of us. You know, I mean, you, you have to admit, Brett. I mean, you, you, you and I, you more so than me, but you know, we were not exactly. 
the cosmetic poster boys that some of these guys no. were. They, that Gary Von Erich just, you know, he, he was, um, you know, the most phenomenally genetically gifted guy I think I've ever seen. His genetics were phenomenal. I'm sure he had some help along the way, but <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> he looked like a million bucks. And then, then Luger and then Steamboat. And, I mean, a lot of the guys just had great physiques. Also from way back in the day, Ric Flair had a nice day when Mick Foley joined him to talk about their infamous fight backstage at WWE. You know, Vince is going to be right most of the time. I just thought he was wrong when it came to the, you know, the importance of that. I thought that match was a big match. And I just... Um, well, we just, just got cut short in interview time. I, we didn't get cut short in the match. No, no, no. The interviews we, uh, were magic. And we, when we did have the interview, we we knocked it. We I mean, we had a heck of an interview. But I was like, "Where's where's the promotion for the interview?" You know, like, mm -hmm. aren't they going to talk about the match? And it was just one of those things where you know Vince was on a different page, and he didn't see it as being as important as we did, or that I think most of the fans did. And I think it was just a a missed opportunity. And then we went out there, and uh, you know, we had a heck of a match. Yeah, um, it was fun. Man, it was a you know we and we went out there in the Meadowlands and we had that great that great promo segment, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I just I, I was just waiting you know like you know when something's a priority and when something's not and 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 in that case that match wasn't a priority for the company and I and I thought it should have been. Well, you know, at that point in my career, everything for me was a plus, and getting to work with you, it's like. If you think about it, I went there in 2001, right? I was never supposed to work. I still got the contract. You'll never have to wrestle. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't there six weeks, and I was wrestling Vince at the Royal Rumble. In Atlanta. Yeah. In Atlanta, right? And then all of a sudden, um, I'm getting a wrestle taker, which at really— WrestleMania. At WrestleMania, which really was great for my self-confidence, because I wasn't ready to come back. I was— I was beat, too beaten down by then, by the WCW yeah, stuff. Yeah, But I had then, but I actually felt like I had a really, a ter I had a terrible match with Vince. I just wasn't ready. Um, but I felt like Taker really, I mean, he did, Taker put me back on the map, man. He, and I, he, when, when a guy that's 15 years younger than me throws me in a corner and I miss the flip and he pulls me back and says, you ready to try it again, kid? <laughs> I felt pretty good. <laughs> I said, let her go, man. That's awesome. And I, he threw me in and gave me the boot and that meant I could pull I could pull for the sword. By the time, if I can get to the sword, man, I can make it through it. <laughs> get me to the, taking the tape off my finger and the rest of it I can handle. <laughs> You're listening to Woo Nation right here on Play.net. Of course, our guest, Mick Foley. You can check him out on Twitter at Real Mick Foley and catch him online at realmickfoley.com. If you haven't had the pleasure of seeing Mick do one of his one man performances in person, you should. I've seen it three times. It gets better every time. If you've never heard his Jim Cornette impression, that's worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> and we're talking about all things old school WWE today. And I guess we should just go ahead and finally address the elephant in the room. Although you guys did have some really cool matches in 06, it probably was born out of a little real life animosity. Uh, I know everybody's getting along now but uh, there were some back and forths and some books, and then backstage in Huntsville, Alabama, of all places. <laughs> that, that, that's where Conrad's from. It got a it's little the, real. It's the greatest line I've ever heard. I was sitting there with Iron, he throws down the book and said, what, what's this all about? 
I got up and punched him in the mouth. He no-sold it. <laughs> and it was over. Yeah, I'm, I may have no-sold it physically. Emotionally, it hurt. <laughs> yeah, but I'm if you're a guy throwing it, if this, you're a guy this, throwing this, it, uh, I don't feel Nation the emotion. Exclusive, Rick. <laughs> Uh, like you know, when the book, <laughs> your book came out, and uh, and and you and I had been getting along, you know, really good. Uh, you know, we did the evolution thing, and I I I didn't realize that you know you know like the the receipt, you know, like uh, sure. the receipt was necessary. <laughs> it probably so wasn't, like, but they were. That was after the, my airplane incident, and they wouldn't let me get out or anything else. So I said, I can at least give Mick, Mick a shot, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Sorry, um, I said. I said worse about really, Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> WWE probably should have pulled us aside uh, before any of that stuff. But I was like, I gotta, I gotta address this somehow. Yeah, well, and I've, I've never been a bully in my life. But honestly, in Huntsville, like I went up. I mean, and I guess the intention was make Rick look bad, you know, in front of the boys. Uh, <laughs> so you're in catering when this happened? He went yeah. to shake my hand. I wouldn't shake his hand. And I said, you want to sign this book for me? And the, I, like, I, I had envisioned a lot of scenarios. <laughs> and never once did I envision Rick getting up and punching me. Like, that was never, <laughs> never even entered my mind. And uh, to this day, this is another thing. Uh, the uh, uh, Rhino is the only guy who knows this. So until now, like, and Rhino has never called me on it either. But when um, when uh, they were pulling us apart, you know, Rhino was the main guy holding me back. Let me just say, like, he didn't have to work very hard to hold me back because <laughs> I wasn't actually trying to make forward progress. You know, like Rick's uh, anger, like it just it caught me off guard. Like really, I never I never saw that coming, and I was like. What have I gotten myself into? So it was like an unfortunate thing, but I I'd said it was almost like before that, like we had this, you know, like this big boil and we were trying to put a Band-Aid on it. And instead of, uh, you know, pretending it wasn't there, like in that one day in Huntsville, we kind of lanced it and got all the bad, uh, yeah. all the bad stuff out. And um, well, you, know what, you know, what started it is, I, what started it all for me is I swear I, everywhere I went for about three years, People would say, did you read what Foley said about you? And I said, no. I never read his book. I mean, I haven't read a book since I was— You didn't even read your own book. I didn't even read my own book. <laughs> Thank you. I barely look at my DVDs. I mean, okay. <laughs> I was there. What's her to look at, right? You're going to love this one. Jay Lethal is one of the great performers of his air in wrestling, in ring, but also one heck of an impersonator. He does Ric Flair tremendous, and Rick— Got to talk to Jay Lethal about that. I will say this. I've only met a few people in my lifetime with the talent and the skill that this guy has. And Ooh, I, what, sure. a, what an introduction. Yeah. Huh? That's right. Yeah, I'm a sour power. Yeah. Too sweet uh, to be sour. Did I say that right? Yeah. Too sweet to be sour. Yeah. Funky like a monkey. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm the man that really took out Rick the Dragon Steamboat. Oh, yeah, Dragon. Isn't that right? I am the Lord and Master of the Ring, yeah. And the Dragon found that out because I am the number one wrestler in the world. Oh, that. Isn't that amazing? 
<laughs> you gotta you gotta come back into the microphone. I couldn't hear the end of that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. How about that? Macho man Randy Savage is on the show this week, Rick. Is that right? No, we no, that. we reached out to Macho, but he's in a good place. We know that. Yeah. I found yeah. someone that can interpret that it can um impersonate him almost better than Mach could do himself. Well. Now 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 we're gonna hear from Rick Flair. Come on, Rick. Yeah. Bobby, they told me that Hogan is in the gym training harder than he ever has his entire life for his upcoming match with the real world champion. Hogan, too late. You can run, but you can't hide. Now, if I were you, I'd make plans on how I'm going to explain all those little kids all those people in Hollywood, how for years you've stuck Ric Flair, how for years you've stuck the challenge of the real world champion. Think about it, Hulk. Now you've got to walk that long, immortal aisle and face Ric Flair, the real world champion. Hogan, I'm waiting. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's tremendous. Ricky hey. does view better than you do, you. Hey, hey, okay, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Jay Lethal. Jay, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Rick. How are you? Oh, good. Hey, give me my favorite line, the one I ask you to do all the time backstage. L- yeah, little girls looking at their mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> that—that's when you, uh, you you slid the chair under Hulk Hogan uh, yeah. for the tombstone. <laughs> Little <Yeah>. girls. <laughs> Yo, we're all adults, and some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind. Lucy Nicotine is a company that was created to help nicotine users find a cleaner option and feel better about the ways they consume nicotine. Their latest product is Slim Nicotine Pouches, which contain pure synthetic nicotine and provide the same satisfaction that nicotine users expect without any tobacco at all. Lucy Slim Pouches use the newest technology for synthesizing pure nicotine in the lab. None of the tobacco, all of the nicotine satisfaction. Lucy Slim Pouches include both coconut oil and gum base to provide a soft, fluffy texture that enhances the flavor and doesn't dry out your mouth. They come in three strengths, 4, 8, and 12 milligrams. They got three exclusive and delicious flavors, spearmint, mango, and cool cider. My buddy Andre used Lucy products. No tobacco, nicotine satisfaction. It's helped him out a great deal. It could help you too. It's 2021. Don't compromise when you're choosing your nicotine products. Go with the newest tobacco-free options from Lucy. Ric Flair Show listeners. Go to lucy.co and use promo code FLAIR to get 20% off your order of Lucy Slim Pouches or any other Lucy products. That's lucy.co and use promo code FLAIR at checkout. Also, I have to give this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains non-tobacco nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code FLAIR, F-L-A-I-R. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. 
Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at savewithconrad.com. John Owens on Twitter wants to know, and we got a lot of questions about this since it's kind of the topic of the week with Daniel Bryan retiring. Does Rick believe that his career is hall of fame worthy? Daniel Bryan. Um, hmm. well, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be in the hall of fame. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know enough about his career. I can tell you this, that the guys up here that did work with him, loved him. Once again, I have never been in the ring with him, you know, I, uh, and I I watch him work a lot. Um, but the guys up here, his peers, that did work with him, think the world of him. So I'll, I'm going to have to say yes, he's a Hall of Fame guy. I don't know that you know this, uh, Rick, but your friend um, Dave Meltzer puts out you know his end of the year awards every year, and for years uh-huh. it was just like the most outstanding wrestler, and then eventually it became the Ric Flair Award because you won it so many times. Uh, Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, however you know him, has held it. Uh, he, he is number two on the all-time list behind you as far as winning it the most times. So oh, e- wow. So even though it may not have been in times when he was main eventing WrestleManias, he was carrying Ring of Honor and other promotions and having consistent five-star matches everywhere he went. So uh, the respect in the smart community and the wrestling journalists and amongst his peers, I would think, would make him a shoe-in. Uh, maybe he didn't have the longevity that some of the other guys did, but when he was there, he was there was no one better. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he made a huge impact here. Yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about whether he deserved to be in or not. I was giving people's, you know, giving sure. them his insight, my insight. Because usually I can't tell, tell you exactly how good a guy is if I haven't been in the ring with him. But he, the fact that everybody here loved working with him and he, uh, you know, left on such a high note and uh, the reception or the, the departure of the show last week was fabulous with him. I mean, you know, you could tell the fans cared. You could tell he cared. So, and that means a lot. I mean, that kind of stuff, I'm pretty sentimental about stuff like that. And uh, he, he got a tremendous reaction. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him and I'm happy for Bree. They seem like a real nice couple, and I think they're going to have a nice life together. In that last clip, you heard Rick reinforce the point he made about Daniel Bryan, who's now known as Brian Danielson, and his body of work uh, being Hall of Fame worthy. It garnered some controversy, to be sure. Now, speaking of controversy, Jim Cornette seems to be a magnet for it, as evidence from this clip where Rick and Jim talk about being in the middle of a riot. Here's the best. Let's go back uh, even before 1997, Jim. When was the first time you actually worked with Rick? Do you remember meeting Rick or your first working experience? Oh my with God, him? yes, 1984 in in Louisiana for Mid South. Well, actually, the no, first ta- time I ever met it him was Tulsa, he, right, Jim? It, well, it, 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 the first time I ever met you, you don't remember because it was in Memphis when you did the match with Lawler at the oh, Channel right. Five Studio, and I was the photographer. That's right. That's right. I forgot that. Yep. But I but, came, um, I helped, uh, I was wrestling, Bill brought me in, and I was the only NW champion that Bill ever used, and I walked in one night, and I got there a little bit late, and they were having a full-scale riot at the fairgrounds in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Midnight <laughs> Express, 
I guess rock and roll there too, right, Jim? Yep, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, there that place was insanity. And I mean, Jim was right there swinging that tennis racket like, they, you know, the cops back there don't care. The old right. home was a little different. Plus, the times have changed, but those guys had more heat every night. I mean, you guys sold out everywhere, right, Jim? Well, in Tulsa, we actually had so many riots, so many shows in a row that they sent the Internal Affairs Department to investigate police brutality against the fans because one of them that they nightsticked was the wow. highway patrolman's son. Yeah, oh, wow. Uh, and they ended up, we got the, the city police kicked out of doing the security at the wrestling matches. They, they brought in the county sheriff's department, and the first uh, first show they did that was a sold-out show at the fairgrounds, and one of the sheriffs got horse-collared by a folding chair that a fan swung at Nikolai Volkov on his way to the ring. <laughs> so they were knocking out the cops with chairs. Yeah. No, I know it was that. I, I said to myself, I've seen a lot of stuff over the years, you know. Because um, yeah. the South can be rowdy, too, but that that Oklahoma, that uh, they were at the fairgrounds, and was uh, that was a really a tough crowd to get through. And it, it was laid out wrong because it was hard to get with the... It, it was like, first of all, it was, a, it was like a dirt with a dirt floor, right, Jim? Well, it, it was a rodeo building, so the floor was exceptionally big. And said whether yeah. they had the dirt or just the cattle chute or whatever, yeah, it was so big, and you had to make the right turns. Didn't you love it when you'd have to go through floor seating and make a nice yeah, right yeah, exactly. Left turn? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it was just really difficult to get in and out of. So yeah. it reminded me. I never. I only worked there a couple of times, but it reminded me of the old. Yeah. Richmond Fairgrounds, okay. where where Orton, uh, where the big old Bob uh, Bob Senior, uh, not Bobby Junior Senior, but Bob the big old, mm -hmm. and uh, Dean Malenko's uh, dad um, Boris, or uh, Great Malenko, uh, got stabbed and hit with a baseball bat. It was terrible. Wow. Rest, wrestling uh, George and Sandy Scott. You probably heard that story, right, Jim? And yeah, Homer Odell came out shooting his guns in the air and all that. It was. Yeah, but anyway, Richmond was very similar to that. People you, just... you, you know what, Rick? Now, you've just run off and left every wrestler under 30 because their, their scariest part about returning to the locker room from the ring is whether Vince is going to yell at them on the, when they get back, right? Yeah, I know. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and know. it used to be when you went to the ring, you would plan your exit just in case shit got hairy exactly. Okay, I remember I got to go through here. This is going to look bad. Is there a shortcut? Yeah. No, I know. It was a... Uh... A different time, you know, and I, but you know, I gotta, I gotta. In all fairness, I just gotta say that I'm, I'm actually happy for the guys. You know, they didn't live the times and they didn't experience what we did, but it's a much safer environment, and they, <laughs> and, and, and Vince pays the bills, the medical bills now, and. You know, I mean, I mean, I well, you know, there, there's one part about today's wrestling that's more dangerous than it was in our day, and that's. Twitter and a camera on every phone oh, and gosh. social media. Oh, exactly. If we'd had cell phones, would anybody have been married longer than three weeks? No, Jim. If we had, if they had cell phones, I wouldn't have not only been married, I'd been in jail. You'd be a 16-time world marrier. But no, no, yeah. not even, not even married. No, just, he'd, you know. he'd be in a pen. We'd, we would all been able to be convicted of something. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what in each specific case, but every wrestler in the world would have gone to prison with evidence that is able to be procured today by just <laughs> what people are walking around with in their pocket <laughs> <laughs> yeah jim we clearly uh we got out and the time was right <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey we, we said before we went on the air we said we were going to tell one story it, it, it my stories with you always involved me trying to get you to leave somewhere i know exactly <laughs> <laughs> 
Either either try to get you to leave WCW and come work for Smoky Mountain, or try to get you to go to the WWE, or try to get you to leave there, come by, or whatever. But in in 1997, this was my favorite when you were in the car circling the Greensboro Coliseum yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on on the WWF pay per view night, and and the events was uh, I was on the phone with you, and and the lawyer was on the phone with you, and we couldn't get the lawyer to agree to let you come inside the building. Yeah, that was it because I was going to what they were going to wow. do, and it was Jim's idea. It went to Vince. I was going to come and sit down and bring my son Reed, right, who had just won the AU Nationals. And Jim Ross was going to get up and say, I was going to sit in the front row, right? And Jim Ross was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, this is if I remember right. So ladies and gentlemen, tonight we, are, we, are, we have with us a special guest, a champion. Yeah. Uh, you know, great and, wrestling champion. Uh, what's that? A great wrestling a champion. A great wrestling champion. And we're going to walk over and congratulate Reed. That's so awesome. he was... He was all excited about sure. doing that. Yeah, no, it's a very, it's a very cool. The shock was going to be because now at the time Rick was was with WCW, but that was one of those. Uh, they weren't issues paying with me. Remember, I, I went. I sat a year without a paycheck. Because the minute I yeah. cashed a paycheck, that recognized the fact that I had a contract. It right. Was the business. And, and basically, I wanted that shot to be everybody in the obviously in the Greensboro Coliseum when he came in and sat down. In the front row during the first match, the people would have blown sky high. Absolutely. And then for Jim Ross to say, we have a great wrestling champion in the front row. We'd like to congratulate him. Go over and interview Reed. And Rick's just sitting there and never says a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the greatest appearance of all time. Yeah, no, I would have died for that moment. But and, they and who just... poo-pooed it? Who shot that down? Uh, uh, Jerry McDivitt and John Taylor. Okay. But there, there's always attorneys involved. Yeah, well, at that point, it was like, um, it'd be like, I, it's what happened is they kept paying me, and I didn't have a contract. Right. Right. But if I cashed a check, I went a whole. I went like eleven months without cashing a check. Okay. Um, that's before I was married. I was only married twice, and so I had enough money in reserve. <laughs> 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 right now, I got to borrow five to pay the uh, coat check girl to get out of out of CBS today from Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> No, things are good, to be honest with you. I'm doing great. But, um, no, it, it's just one of those deals because I, I will dying to do it, right? I want right. to stick it up their butt. But the other side of the story, too, is, Jim, is Arn and all those guys wanted me to come back at WCW. I was already torn. Does that make sense? Yeah. So no, do I, I go up there? And, believe me. Huh? I understand. Believe yeah, me, yeah. I mean, my friends were there. I mean, I had friends at, at WWE, too, but my friends were there. So I, you know, I just, you know, actually, John Taylor gave me good advice, which my other attorney hated. He said, hey, you can sit home, because I would have gotten rich. So I, I sued them back, as you know, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, because, uh, as Jim will tell you, uh, Bischoff got up at a meeting in front of 75 people and said, I'm going to break Ric Flair, going to break his family and teach him not, I mean, which a, a vice president of a company like that can't do. Right. So I would have gotten rich beyond belief, but I probably waited five years to get the money. Um, you know, but everybody that sues Turner got paid, correct, Jim? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think Howie, the mailroom guy, uh, is living yeah. in the Bahamas now because yeah. of a, a lawsuit against Turner. Yeah, how about Sonny Ono? Yeah, Hardbody Harrison, that? all those guys. Yeah, all those guys. Sonny Ono sued him, the guy that would, the, the, the car dealer from Iowa, Eric's best friend, Turner oh, yeah. rolled on and, Iowa. Well, 
And uh, what about the, uh, the the guy that uh, is now ser- serving life in prison for sexual slavery? Yeah. Hard body Harrison. He, oh, they, I know. They, yeah. They sued him basically saying that they were they were uh, basically appeared to be uh, or presented as racial stereotypes and oh, or ineffective and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And that was everybody on the roster in WCW. They were all presented as ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, WCW should have sued all of them for impersonating wrestling personality. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, Jim, when did you first come to uh, the Mid-Atlantic area and work for the Crockett's, and how did that all come about? I recall well, it, man. In large part due to Nate, because uh, he had seen us, uh, me and the Midnight Express, in, in uh, Louisiana, obviously, as he just said, and then we went to Dallas because we wanted to come to the Carolinas then, but Watts wanted us to go to Dallas because he was going to trade talent with Fritz, and then they got mad at each other, and, and Watts would be running the Superdome, and we'd be in the rodeo arena in Brownsville, Texas. But uh, uh, <laughs> put a, a good word in for us, and and you know, had sold us on coming. Dennis Convery always wanted to come anyway because he had he had seen the Carolina Territory years before when he just was like a rookie referee in the business. And uh, he always wanted to go and had told us how great it was. And and then when Dusty came in and, and worked with us uh, in Louisiana for Watts, uh, you know, we, we were fortunate because we had Rick and Dusty both on our side. So it was like Crockett couldn't say no. Yeah, well, why would he? I mean, got, and then when, on top of that, when they came, then came the rock and roll. Right. Too, but they brought not only a, a phenomenal tag team, and, they, and the heels are always. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not. This is not against anybody that's been a babyface, but heels make the business roll. Yes. That's just the way it is. So if you got some great heels, you can find babyfaces. But they got a great babyface team in Ricky and Robert too, the Rock right. and Roll Express. But if they hadn't come, Jim and. Uh, and uh, Midnight Express, Bobby and Dennis could have found somebody else to work with. So, but it worked out great. We we we, we would have only we would have only done really good instead of great. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some more controversy, and boy, Rick, <laughs> he's good for controversy on this podcast. I can tell you that. Here's one where Rick talks about Finn Balor and some criticism he received for comments he made about the WWE superstar. You have really upset the internet in our very first story that we have to cover right away. A cruiserweight won't main event the WrestleMania event. Or yeah, Rick, do you regret saying it? You've gotten lots of backlash this past week. Lots of people online are coming well, after you. Well, first forks. of all, it wasn't meant to hurt. I, I didn't wrestle, as I told you when we discussed this, I didn't main event at WrestleMania, okay? Right. And I had a pretty a pretty good career. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I certainly wasn't meant by, with any um, any malice, it was just an opinion. Um, uh, but I will tell you something. Whatever website that was that came out, that they listed the ten the ten cruiserweights that have beaten me, and which which is all true. I never denied getting beat by cruiserweight guys. But when you start calling Shawn Michaels a cruiserweight, you better be you better be on alert, man, because you will be picking your teeth up. When he sees you, <laughs> I don't think anybody ever thinks of Shawn Michaels as being a cruiserweight. How about how about you? Well, I wouldn't have automatically assumed that he was a cruiserweight. I think people are really starting to blur the lines a little bit. And what I mean is, there's a build weight in wrestling. You know, guys say mm-hmm. they're seven foot tall and they're really not seven foot tall, and guys say they're four hundred pounds and they're really not four hundred pounds. Well, I think a lot of that happens in wrestling. So guys, you know, started to really attack you over the weekend, saying. 
you know, oh, what about, you know, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins mm-hmm. and Sean Mike? All of those guys were billed at more than what a cruiserweight is now. And then lots of people made the argument, I don't know if you saw this, that at the time those guys were wrestling, they were in what the WWE defined a cruiserweight weight class because it used to be 225 pounds. Now it's 205 pounds. None of that matters, though. Finn Balor is 190 pounds. And uh, I, here's my takeaway from last week, Rick. I feel like you were looking out for your buddy, Roman. I don't know that everybody who listens to the podcast really understands. You have a great personal relationship with Roman. I think you guys got close on a European tour a few years ago. And so now you consider him a friend. So whenever you talk about Roman Reigns, you're not so much talking about the character we see on TV as you are your good friend. Exactly. And, and it was no more than just an opinion. I mean, trust me, it was never meant with any malice towards Finn Balor. He's got a lot of talent. I said, you know, what more you can say? Good looking, great body, tremendous talent, okay? I repeat. So anybody that was offended, I certainly want to apologize. So, My God. So if you think he's a great performer and good looking and in good shape and talented, why do you hate him so much? I don't hate him. Why are you saying that? Jesus I just saw him on Monday. I shook his hand. I don't hate him. I like him. But but he'll definitely never main event, right? Because he's too little. Isn't that what you said? No, but I mean, here's hypothetically again. See, you're, now, see, you're like you're trying to stir this up, which is what you do. But what I'm saying is, is that you look at at, at the last five or six main events at WrestleMania, okay? And right. I know Daniel Bryan was in one of them. Uh, and he's a phenomenal player with a phenomenal following. Exactly, right? Right. But, I mean, I, I don't see those guys. I don't see those guys wrestling Brock Lesnar. I mean, that's just where it is. I don't see Daniel Bryan wrestling Brock Lesnar. I wouldn't see Finn Balor. I wouldn't see a lot of people that are really good wrestlers wrestling Brock Lesnar, okay? Um, Triple H is 255 pounds. Orton, I mean, it's just, it's just a difference. And I think that just like I said about boxing, uh, when Muhammad Ali was was uh, the champion, it, you, there, there really was there was no other divisions. I mean, of course there were, and there were some fabulous boxers, but the heavyweight champion was Muhammad Ali, and that's the only thing he talked about. And when he passed away, about a month and a half ago, I mean, the, the recognition that he got, I mean, the NBA Finals came to a standstill to honor and recognize Muhammad Ali. I've never seen that for any other boxer. So me, you? No, I haven't. I want to ask about this cruiserweight thing again, though, because I do want to get some clarification. I feel like a lot of people uh, read what they thought happened on the podcast rather than actually listening to what you uh-huh. said. And mm-hmm. w- one of my questions, I guess, is, you know, it's not, you're not saying that weight is the only indicator. I mean, uh, good Lord, if that was the case, then every year it would be Mark Henry and Big Show in the main event. Of course uh, not. I, no, I, of course not. I'm just saying that it's, number one, it takes a long time to build a brand. Right. Let's, let's throw that word in the equation, too, okay? So regardless of when Finn Balor or anybody else, of all the new guys came up, by the way, those two kids, they debuted last night on SmackDown, were fabulous. Um the amateur wrestlers, um, they were they were fabulous. Yeah, um, ready, willing, and gable. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, just they 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 just are fabulous and phenomenal athletes. Um, so I want to give them a shout out. But um, yeah, I just don't. I I it's not nothing to do with weight. Gosh, it's it's it takes time to build a brand. I mean, 
Look at, I mean, Randy Orton has built a brand, but he's been there 10, 15 years. John Cena's built a brand. Right now, Seth and Roman and Dean Ambrose are in the process of building a brand. And, and they've been it, there it, for it, years. It takes time. It's worth mentioning. They've been there on television for years. And I think, you know, one of the things, you know, and I, I know I'm probably not supposed to be speaking for you here, but I think it's also fair to say that part of what you meant when you said, I just don't see a main eventing a WrestleMania is based on the idea that only two guys get that spot every year. I mean, here we are now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just, geez, I mean, thank God someone's, you're thinking this out. It's insanity, my God. I mean, it, but it's, I think it's really tragic that the internet will seize the opportunity and just the way they are. It's just, it's like in the old days, man, when it was, uh, what was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated? Was that the number one magazine, yeah, right, yeah, man? Yeah, yeah. If I wasn't, the, if I wasn't the most hated, number one, I was really mad. <laughs> How dumb was I? And if Hogan was wasn't most popular, he was mad. <laughs> you know the radians back then. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I, I'm making a joke. I'm being facetious. I didn't even look at that stuff. I mean, and I probably have more Pro Wrestling Illustrated covers than anybody alive. But it, guys, it's a work. Hello. It's a work, everybody. It's a work. Okay, let's talk about uh, some of today's wrestlers, another weekly segment. And I know you're going to like talking about this guy, Nate. MJF, Maxwell, Jacob Friedman. My uh, man. Very inspired by Roddy Piper. Hey, like, see, he's got the big ring, man. Just like the nature boy. Now he's got to buy one of these. Well, I see a lot of Roddy Piper in Max. How about you? Roddy Piper? No, not really. I don't see that. I, I, Roddy was like, you know, Roddy was just a boom, 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 real quick. I just spoke to his daughter last night, by the way. So, um, I'm catching up with them. But, um, I don't see much Roddy in him. I see more me than Roddy. I mean, I, I don't, don't talk, I mean, I'm, I'm not taking away from Roddy. I just ask me who I see more of him. I, I like, Roddy didn't brag, you know, Roddy didn't brag about it his clothes and stuff like that. This kid is, you know, which makes him different. He's talking about the material things or it implies that he has the material things that other people don't have. And that really pisses people off, especially when it's the truth. Well, what I like about Max is he almost never breaks character. Not, not yeah. in the ring, not on the mic, not away from wrestling, not anytime. I like that. But today with the camera everywhere, you got to be careful too. Oh, Absolutely. Especially if he wants to be a little nature boy. <laughs> well, no, you know what I mean. I mean, Nate, how much trouble would you have got if there was social media? And why do you, why do you, why do you people keep bringing that up? What makes you think I did something wrong in the old days? Just why, the hunch. huh? Just the hunch. A lot Just of the hunch. Instances. I was Is, there too. Have you ever been out with me? <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, yes, indeed, I have. Well, no, I. Woo! Merry Christmas. I think Max is great. I, he's a heel who isn't trying to be cheered. He just no, that's the key heel. thing. You can't, I'll tell you a thing. If, if I saw that kid sign an autograph out in the parking lot of the building, I'd never talk to him again. I he, don't think you have to worry about that. No, no. Man, if he, I, he, it's, he's so damn good at what he's doing, and it really catches my attention. But, you know, I've seen so many guys in the business Go out be a heel on TV. They're out in the parking lot signing autographs. Instead of running to the bar 100 miles an hour, they're walking around to make sure that nobody tweets about what an asshole they are. 
By signing all their autographs, get dumbass. What heel signs an autograph? You know what I used to walk to the airport with Hunter, and, and <laughs> people would say we have autographs. Say, Bad guys don't sign. <laughs> Standard answer. Bad boys don't sign. Uh, how do you, how do you rate Max's work? I think he's. I, I think it's very physical. I think he's a heel. Yeah, I think he's very good. He works like a heel, and uh, you know, he, he, he when he gets on top of the guy, which is the important thing. He stays on him. He knows when to back up. He knows when to air with the crowd. Um, by air, I mean give, give it a chance to breathe before he attacks again. That's a key thing too that a lot of guys understand. You got to give the people when you got a guy down and you and you have him down. You got it. The referee is going to break it. One, two, break. Back up. Just don't turn your back on the guy. Back up five feet. Give the audience a chance to breathe and get your breath yourself. Rather than go in there and, and blow yourself up trying to beat the guy up. One good punch, two good punches, three look 10 times better than 20 of these. But I've been saying that for how many years for these kids? 20 shit punches can kill one good one. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. No, here's an example, which I'll tell the young kids. If there's eight people in the ring and there's eight people doing something, right? You don't know where the camera is. You have to pretend the camera's on you. Because while one guy's over here nailing a way that looks like a million dollars, there's some other kid over here with throwing punches that couldn't break, a, couldn't break an egg. Does that make sense? They have to all learn to work, especially when there's multiple people in the ring, like the camera is directly on them. And then they start to put together the ingredients where they become a great performer. Uh, Nate, don't get me started. I think there's so many top guys in the business now, top guys on top of the card that can't throw a punch worth a lick. Okay. Drives me crazy. Right. Just yeah. drives me yeah. absolutely crazy. But getting back to MJF. If you don't have the fundamentals, and I mean seriously, the fundamentals, which are punching, kicking, eyes, attitude, and appearance, I mean, something that attracts you, you're never going to get that, that G for great in front of your name. Uh, MJF's 25. Where's his career go from here? He signed in oh. AEW through 2024. Yes, I think it goes anywhere he wants it to go. I hope he has a good business manager, a good agent. Not some dumb son of a bitch like I've had in the past. But someone knows what they're doing and is honest. So you and see him as a very, very top guy? Yes. I yes. do too. Yeah. Now, uh, you either, either company. Would WWE dilute his character? What would they do with him when he got No, I, I said as he is. Delivered right. as he is. Excuse me. Right. Yeah. That's why one reason why I would be hesitant to go to AEW, excuse me, Freudian slip, why I would be hesitant to leave AEW to go to WWE, I think you have a bigger hand in the creative process in AEW. And I think for a guy who knows what he's doing, like Max obviously does, that's invaluable. Oh, exactly. I wasn't, you just asked me a question. I said, right. He's good enough to be good in either company. Right. That's all I meant. And I, I were him. I, I'm not suggesting he go anywhere. I, I would stay with Tony as long as I could, as Tony was paying me. And I'm sure Tony sees a lot in him, or he wouldn't be in the position he's in. <clears throat> and, he, and he, the thing about him, he's just going to get better. And now, hopefully, hopefully, he stays injury free. Now you like the way MJF dresses. You've talked about that on this program in the past. 
And uh, I do too with the, you know, with the nice clothes, the scarf, the tie. Mm-hmm. Why is that so unimportant in general in today's wrestling? He's kind of the exception to the rule. Well, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I'm always going to get, I'm always going to tell you that, you know, if I think I influence some people, I, I know I have. Um, but I, I, I like the, the look that Bobby Lashley does now with MVP and the guys. It's because not everybody can wear jeans and tennis shoes. I mean, it works great for Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns is the handsomest son of a bitch alive. And Roman can wear whatever, but when Roman puts on a suit and tie, he's even a handsomer son of a bitch. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen it both ways. For Roman to be casual, have his merch shirt on, walk out in, in probably $2,000 jeans and you know, five hundred dollar pair of tennis shoes that works for Roman. He could pull it off. Um, I probably I like I like Charlotte because she, Charlotte spends a fortune, but for her it's work. She dresses immaculately. It's her gimmick, and you've got to live your gimmick either way. But with him, not everybody can wear jeans and tennis shoes. You want to make yourself look different somehow. I mean, I, and, and that's just, we have so many people. That are dressed the same, um, and, and except for the ring attire, that they all look the same if they don't have, and, and they're trying to get themselves looked at and and get themselves a spot with a promoter. I would I would emphasize either dressing, uh, or doing something a little different with your wardrobe. It's, it's just as essential as it is. Learn how to work in the ring. Up next, I still can't believe this would happen. It's Rick talking about who was really in charge at TNA when Rick was there. <laughs> I can't believe it. He's talking to Vince Russo. Wow. But I think like, um, and Conrad and I talk about it, I think like Seth Rollins has got, has got it down pretty good, and he's getting more confidence. And, you know, where I where he, he's definitely 10 times the interviewer he was six months ago. And there's other guys that can talk and care, but it's – um. The, the thing that I see is that I wouldn't change a bit of it for me, <clears throat> but you know it's that old saying: you got about four minutes to walk out that door and show Vince McMahon there's something different about you than anybody else. <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely! No, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. Mean, me, I had robes, clothes. I had a lot of enhancements. <laughs> I probably, I didn't say it worked out for me financially so well, but it wasn't like I didn't come prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but, but Rick, let me ask you this. Here's something very important because you know you, you know you, you basically said it, and it's kind of you know like I figured it. Okay, like I, I get the feeling too, like you know that there are people working on eggshells, and the way the wrestling business is, Rick. Let, let's face it, there isn't a WCW. You know, wh- wh- where are these guys going to go if, God forbid, they get heat with the office? So I understand all that, but Rick, I have to ask you a question. Like, even in your case, especially starting out, you know, before you were Rick Flair, weren't there times though, Rick, in your career? You know, especially early on, where like you kind of had to go out there and and take chances in, in order to become Ric Flair, in order yeah, to but stand out from the crowd. I, you know, it's funny. I tell this to everybody. 
it was just, I came from Minneapolis, um, you know, where I started with Dusty and, I mean, I started with Murdoch and Rhodes and Bachwinkle and Stevens and, Jesus, Larry Henning, Harley Race. I mean, the list was endless of guys there when I started. And then after a year, I went to Carolina, uh, where George Scott was with Wahoo, and I just had, I was surrounded with so much talent that, and, and, uh, and the guys liked me, because when young guys started the business, when I started, a lot of the older guys didn't like the young guys. <clears throat> so, but I was, I was, I wanted to be a heel, so that already took the pressure off the, bay, the older Bay faces. Um, you know, unlike a guy like Steamboat, man, the Bay faces like Wahoo and Paul Jones and those guys, they hated Steamboat. I had to fight for everything in the world to get them a break. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to see a handsome young kid come along. Right. <laughs> Especially if you're a, a, a Bay face with some mileage on you. But for me, I was a heel. I was just, Cannon fodder, man. So they loved me. You know, I could talk, say what I wanted to say. They bounced around, beat me every night. Hell, one night I was in Charleston wrestling Wahoo, and George Scott happened to be at the show. Wahoo beat me in the middle of the ring. The people were going crazy. <laughs> he came back down and beat me again. And the crowd was, I was so naive, the crowd was going crazy again. He came back down and beat me three times. I walked back, and George Scott pulled me aside and said, what the hell are you doing? I said, I don't know. I thought that was good. He said, you already beat you once. <laughs> I didn't know any better. <laughs> beat me beat me 30 times. What the hell? Hey, hey Rick, let, 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 me, let me ask you one, let me ask you one a, a question as it pertains uh, to, to, to um, you know, the business today, because I'm, I'm real interested in this. You know, say Ric Flair was just breaking into the business today, and, and, and say Ric Flair was breaking into the same WWE today, you know, that, that we're seeing today, um, where, you know, again, guys are, are in tough positions because there, there's really no place else to go. So, you know, I mean, they, they kind of follow instructions to the T, uh, you know, just to make sure they have job security, they have feelings. I understand all that. But, Rick, if you were placed in that situation today and, and you're, you're just breaking into the business, but you know the nature boy is inside of you, you know he's there and you know he exists, but, but yet they keep giving you, you know, scripted promos, say this, say that. If I that now, Rick, would, 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 now, you, I'd be fired would, within 30 would, minutes. Well, I'm media, I was going to say now, alive what, what, without walking in the door of the building. From conduct the night before, <laughs> as you know. Yeah, yeah. But, but, I enjoyed, but my, my, my I enjoyed point, working. <laughs> What's but, that? Rick, my, my question is: Would you would you take that gamble in order to be noticed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most 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 definitely, but. Um, and I think the character would have been, everything would have worked, but I would have had to really, uh, kind of like that movie Wolf, chain myself to the radiator in the room at night. Right. <laughs> Part of my, the, what made life fun for me is that I wrestled hard, I worked hard, I worked out hard, but I did uh, just some damage to myself and other people between 11 and 4. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, hey, let, let's switch gears and talk a little WCW. Bits. Well, let me just, I, have to, I have to comment up by saying that since Conrad hangs around me now, he tells me that his liver lights on once in a while. So, <laughs> my check liver light. I woke up at uh, SummerSlam, and uh, my check liver light was on. <laughs> so, hey, Vince, let's talk a little bit about WCW. Uh, I know we kind of And Vince, just as an FYI, how in the hell have you been in this business so long? You don't do drugs, you don't drink. How do you do it? Oh, man, I just used to, Rick, literally, like, uh, this is an absolute shoot, Rick. I, I, the, the, the show would be over. I, I'd walk in the hotel. I, I would look to my left and see what was going on in the bar, and I would know in my mind nothing good is going to come out of that, and I literally would go right to my room and lock myself in. Why couldn't I learn that? What was wrong? Why was I so thick-headed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rick, if you were on the outside looking in and you saw what was happening, you would know nothing good is going to come out of that. Well, I know what's happening because it was probably me. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost Valentine's Day, and love is in the air. Whether it's a third date or 30-year anniversary, you don't want erectile dysfunction getting in the way of a perfect night. Believe me, been there, not done that. If you're experiencing ED then visit GetRoman.com slash Flair to speak with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about ED and, if prescribed, get $15 off your first month of treatment. Look, guys, with ED treatment, you can have the self-insurance that comes from knowing you've prepared yourself for the moment when the moment comes. Roman offers five prescription treatments, including the brand and generic of the most common ED medications. If you want Valentine's Day to be a Royal Rumble later on, I see what they did there. Your order needs to be placed by February 9th, so don't waste any time. Listen to me, Mark Madden, listen to Woo Nation Uncensored, and start an online visit today. The whole process is straightforward, convenient, and discreet. Getting started is simple, so just go to GetRoman.com slash Flair. That's GetRoman.com slash Flair. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. Super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. 
Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Let's bring it a little closer to home now. Rick and Conrad Thompson talked to Rick's daughter, Ashley, better known as Charlotte Flair, the best female performer in wrestling history. This is very early in Charlotte's career. It's Rick and Conrad with Charlotte Flair. Uh, Teresa Richards sure. on Twitter wrote in, you started wrestling fairly recently. What was the tipping point that led to you pursuing a career in wrestling? Um, well, four horsemen introduction, or four horsemen Hall of Fame induction at... Uh, Miami. Miami, two and a half months you know, prior to me starting. The opportunity came up, and... I was just personal training. I didn't have much going on. And I was like, Dad, should I do this? And Reed was like, you got to do it. You got to do it. So I was like, all right. I mean, so, I mean, there every single day was about, do I do it? Do I not? Do I do it? And then um, the day I started in Tampa, I just never looked back. So when you were at the Hall of Fame induction, does somebody from the WWE approach you and make the pitch? Or does it just come up in casual conversation? Or what does that look like? We were, I think, staying at the Marriott. Um, we were at uh, the hotel restaurant. It was me, my dad, Reed, Johnny, Laurenitis, and I want. The funny thing is, I think the Bella Twins were actually in the hotel restaurant as well. And Laurenitis was like, "Why aren't you doing this?" And I was like, uh, "I don't know. <laughs> it's not something I ever thought about, dreamed about." Um, and he was like, why not? And then, of course, like, Reed was poking at me, like, oh, my gosh, you'd be so great at this. We could be doing it together. And I just looked at my dad, and he was like, okay, you know, but if you're going to do it, um, just make sure you put your whole heart into it. And a lot of hard work and time and goes into this. And, you know, he knew at the time that I was married. So he was just like, this is going to be a test. Uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and at that time, just to, just to clarify to people, John was the head of talent relations. Uh, now, John is semi-backed out of that position, and Mark Carano handles that now. But uh, And John, I broke John, John Laurinaitis in the business. So the irony of him asking Ashley, who he's known forever, just as he knew Reed forever, um, was pretty cool. And then she walked away and came back, and I knew that it clicked, you know. I just wasn't sure if she understood the commitment and moving away from home. You know, uh, not that she needed to be stuck at home. I didn't mean that, but it's a big move. You know, you just it's a change in lifestyle. She was making a lot of money, but she was working 49 or 50 hours a week for it. Um, and she took a pay cut. And, uh, you know, because everybody starts out, nobody, everybody thinks you get rich when you sign with WWE. It's not the way it is. You've got to earn your stripes. And uh, she took a pay cut and moved there and... Uh, Never look back. It's it's been a great ride for me. I know. So um, and she's um, <laughs> been through so much, and uh, you know, I'm just extremely proud of her. The world knows that. And uh, how many times in life it has happened that that but I'm getting to walk out to the ring with my daughter on a weekly basis now, and you know, for as long as it happens, but it just doesn't happen like that in this business. Um, and she won the championship in record time. She. I'm not even sure, Ashley, you can correct me, but I would venture to say you hadn't had 100 matches prior to coming up to Raw, had you? 
Probably around 100. Around 100. But never wrestled an indie show, just, you know, wrestling the same people. So to come along and be wrestling the same people for, you know, almost three years, and then to come up and then hit the roster and take off like that is almost unheard of. The only person I've ever seen catch on to the business, I've said it before and I said it on the podcast, to catch on to our business that fast is Kurt Angle. You know, and Kurt was already a great Olympic wrestler, but it, it still being an Olympic wrestler and being a pro wrestler are two different things. So, I, I mean, I'm amazed by it, and I've seen a lot of people come along. Well, Rick, I know it's early in the morning, but you mistakenly called our guest Charlotte Ashley. So uh, I just wanted to correct that, that we're actually talking to Charlotte now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Charlotte, uh, tell us a little bit about what was more challenging for you, like the change of life from going from living in North Carolina to getting – Move down to NXT and uprooting your life and training for wrestling every day and going from personal training to there, or then the second jump from NXT to main roster, what was more of an adjustment for you? Well, first of all, I've lived in North Carolina my entire life. So I could kind of say I was kind of a small-town girl just because I'd only lived in Charlotte, Boone, and Raleigh prior to moving to Tampa. And then getting to Tampa... um, just living somewhere else was an adjustment, but I had uh, I had people around me that I'd known my whole life. You know, Joe Gomez was one who is a Tampa native, and he helped helped me a lot. Obviously, I had known Dusty my whole life, which really didn't help getting to developmental because he'd make the most ridiculous comments. I'm like, Dusty, you're really not helping me here if you want the talent to like me. Um <laughs> And then, obviously, Ricky Steamboat was a coach at the time as well, and Steamboat had known me my whole life, and I had grown up with Richie, and Richie was actually, I think, the champ at the time when I got there, um, or had just dropped the title. But, um, no, that was an adjustment, and then it's just, as you know, and FCW was growing, and then it grew to NXT, and then, you know, it became what it is today, another brand, and then debuting on the main roster, I just kind of grew with the product, to be honest, as a person. Um, But I think the bigger adjustment now is I'm recognized everywhere. Before, I'd always been recognized because I traveled with my dad, so it wasn't like, oh, instead of, you know, someone asking me to take the picture, it's like, oh, can you get in the picture? Um, (laughs) it's, it's, It's crazy. I know. <laughs> and sometimes I don't, I mean, I really have not, because I debuted, or not debuted, I started a little over three and a half years ago, and I really haven't had a break since then, so I haven't really taken it all in. Before talking to you guys this morning, I had um, some radio interviews to promote the move to SmackDown to USA, and they were kind of chronologically going over my run, you know, talking about Rookie of the Year for PWI and then the NXT Championship and then the NXT Tours and then debuting in the Divas Championship and then Must One Fitness. I was like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about some of that stuff. Because it's it's just happening so fast. Right. Next week I'm going to India and it's just crazy. Now, uh, it's like like the trademark with the the the, um... The man trademark, you know, after an excruciating weekend, 
you know, I want I was, there was something that was going on with Taylor Swift and the man and all that. And I said, down, Oh, I forgot some guy from TMZ hit me in LA and I just went, you know, you have no idea how hard I've worked for that label. And when, if I own the trademark to be the man, if I own that trademark and um, they use that trademark to create the man, which has been my label my entire career. I thought it up, it's mine, I own it. And I'm one of the few guys that owns their intellectual property. You know, I mean, Steve doesn't own Stone Cold, believe it or not. And I, I don't think it's right. He should be able to have it. But when they get a hold of it, they're going to keep it. They have their reasons. And I'm not the one making those calls. But I own my stuff. But the ultimate insult was, and whoever was clever enough, you know, first of all, I want to say the girls had a phenomenal match last night, Becky and Charlotte. My God. Um, so proud of both of them. I mean, they, they, they tore it up last night and I mean, they, they, they are going to make it hard for the guys and keep pushing the guys to be equally as good because they're as good in that match with as good a match as you're going to see anywhere in intensity to me, intensity has always been, you know, the, the, it's, it's not so much the wrestling it's to combat them. It's the physicality. It, it's the expressions. It's knowing that everybody means business, and they did. And man, they tore it down. So, kudos to them. But I'm also, in my opinion, the finish they chose could have gone either way. They chose to sell merchandise rather than uh, sell athleticism, because those two, there's no comparison. And I'm actually surprised that Fox because Fox is a channel that airs baseball and sports and uh, you know, football and everything else, right? That they would let the, the, the SmackDown title um, get, get beat up, but they don't control the merchandise. By beat up, I mean get beat. So it was a great match, but that's my take on that. And by the way, they're selling merchandise they don't, they, they don't own. <laughs> Well, Just because well, I wanted to be this right, uh, I my, as I'm sitting here, I pull this up. Um, they have seven applications to this day, WWE, as we speak, for the trademark of the man. They still can't get it. That's how much it was mine. Well, Nate, I, I, I got to ask. I mean, they're giving Becky Lynch your trademark. Why didn't they call her Stone Cold? Why didn't they call her The Game? Why didn't they... You know, because uh, Hunter told me that <laughs> Hunter told me that Stone Cold was trademark. I said, "Why don't you call her the game?" He said, "That's trademark too." I said, "So is the man." He said, "No, it's not. To be the man and the man is two different things." I swear oh no, to God. it's not. No, not. Please, <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's it's old news now. It's behind us, but let's get the facts straight. They still don't own it. And if I get a chance and I get cleared legally, I'm going to go back and get it. I was doing Steve Austin's show and uh, Kevin Owens name came up. He's another kid who I get so re damn respectful. Um, and he, Steve said that Kevin reached out to him and said, do you mind if I borrow the stunner? Because there was a time in the business, <laughs> I should trademark this. There was a time in the business 
when you would ask someone if you could, if you, if they would, could if you could use their figure? Like people would say to me, "Do you care if I use the figure four in my match?" No, please. You're not going to beat anybody with it, but feel free to use it. Neither did you. Um, uh, and I gave it to a lot of people, but people that, that's the kind of respect they'd have. Where they come to Sean and say, "Could you use a super kick?" In in as far as the company with my trademark, they didn't even ask me to borrow my finish. They just stole my my trademark and took my finish. <laughs> so forget about using my finish. They just used my trademark without permission. That's where Sasha Banks comes into my life. She respects me. And I mean, I can't tell you that the word respect, it means more than anything, especially as you get older. You know what I mean? It's so easy to be pushed aside, forgotten. You know what I mean? But for me to still be here, have a show like this with you and have respect and get texted and say, hey, Nate, you know, be strong. I mean, I got I got that from Shayna Baser. I got it from Nia Jax, Rhea Ripley. I mean, all of them. The all, you know, in you find out who are your friends and who respects you when things are up, when things are down. Does that make sense? I am Mark Madden. Welcome to Woo Nation Uncensored. And we're opening today's program with some big news. The battle is over. The war has been won. Becky Lynch is no longer the man. WWE isn't even using it. She is now big time Bex. So let's welcome to the program the 16-time world champ, the one and only man. He is the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Nate, we always knew it was going to come to this. We always knew who the winner was going to be, but it's all over. It is. And in closing, because I'm so tired of going over it, it's not even, let's say hypothetically, the number one selling T-shirt for two years in a multi in a billion dollar company. So let's just say they made $30 million, right? I could find out, but it's not worth it. Ultimately, the people that did that to me need to look in the mirror and know that I worked my whole career for that to belong to my daughter or my son. They got to look at themselves in the mirror. They got to say to themselves, boy, he took something that he worked his whole life, his ass off for every day, made a joke of it, and gave it away. That's well, all I can say anymore. The proof is in the pudding. Becky Lynch is now big time Bex, and Ric Flair moving forward once and forever is I'm the silenced. man now. I'm silenced on the issue. No more. Okay, good. Well, we wrapped it up, and the result yeah. is what was hoped for. At the very end there, we couldn't help but play a clip of Rick talking about the man being his trademark. We wanted to get that back out there because God knows he's so shy about bringing it up himself. Speaking of the man, Ric Flair got to interview Darius Rucker of Hootie and the Blowfish fame, and they talk about how long they've known each other. Oh, he's Rick, sure. You he's mentioned dope. a minute ago, Rick, that you guys met in 86. That's a lot sooner or a lot longer than I would have imagined you guys knew each no, other. I'll how did you all first meet, Darius? Mike Campbell. Oh, Rick was... Yeah, yeah, Mike Campbell, who was the governor's son, uh, was friends with Rick, and uh, some of the guys would hang out, and, you know, we we heard that they were, you know, they were going to be out there, and Mike was going to be there, and I, Mike was a friend of mine, and he introduced me to Rick, and we were friends with son. Yeah, wow. no, what happened was I brought my, I brought uh, Charlotte down to your concert in the park that night, the first time, 
that we met. Mike Campbell asked me to come down, and it was at that time you were with Hootie and the, the group, and uh, you had an outdoor concert. Have you, do you remember that? Oh, yes, I do remember that. We were having just a little show in the park, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was the that. first time, and yeah. ever since ever since then, I mean, you know, we've been <laughs> we've been pals, and then the big night for me, of course, which really has separated me from a lot of people in the wrestling business, was at the Jimmy V in 1989 when I had one of my ex-wives with me. <laughs> and you had your ex-wife with you, and you bought one of my robes for like $30,000. And <laughs> Jordan was there, Barkley was there. I mean, that's when the Jimmy V was really was really a party, man. Good Lord. That was a party. I remember, I remember when they uh, said, you know, this is, they were going to, they're gonna. Oh, that was an auction item, and I said to the guys, "I don't care what it costs me, I'm getting this thing." <laughs> it just kept going up. It just kept going up. And, but you know, I still got it. I, I I was looking at it probably two days ago. I still got it. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's I, I when I heard you got divorced, I said, "I hope he's not like his wife, like my other wives, didn't take all his stuff and take my robe." <laughs> They said no. He, he still got it. <laughs> no, no, no. The robe, you know, I still got. It. I still got. Yeah. It. I always have that robe, man. It's the, it's the centerpiece of my sports robotic collection. I love that thing, man. I'm so proud to have it. Well, thank you. A lot of my my ex wives all seem to think they belong to them, like they wore them when they take them with them as they leave, and then they <laughs> then, then Conrad buys them off of uh, eBay. <laughs> um, well, listen. Um, so. I have to go on record as saying because not only because of our friendship, but um, just the level of respect that you command. This thing that you have, and it's coming up soon again. It seems like it comes around every fan. The the turn the Monday after the Masters fundraiser, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's for uh, underprivileged youth people in in the state of South Carolina. Correct. That's that's our main. That's the main emphasis of the Hootie Foundation is you know, trying to help kids with education all over the state of South Carolina, but also all over the country. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing it for 22 years now, man, and I think you've been there for 20 of them or something like that. It's been, well, I've been, been there for a lot of times. I tell you what, I've been there for a lot of them. I, I, uh, I, I tell Conrad because I tried to get Conrad to go last year, and he went, I, I don't know, man. It is the damnedest party. If, and now, if I'm saying this, you know that it's being laid down the line. It, it's the greatest <laughs> three-day party. It's the greatest three-day party I've ever been to in my life. And everybody hopes, and I hope I'm not saying this with any, uh, I hope I'm saying the right thing. Everybody hopes that Darius will drink on Saturday and sing Saturday. <laughs> They know he'll drink on Sunday and sing Sunday, and he has to sing Monday. That's part of the gig. But it's the hardest ticket in the world to get. I mean, I just talked to Alexis the other day because I, I, I managed and asked you. I'm, I hope I can come, but I have to work, but I'm going to come Monday. But, Conrad, I swear to God, the House of Blues, it is unbelievable, and they have so many sponsors. They're not serving uh, – they're serving Kettle One and your Crown Royal that you like, Conrad. I mean, they're not serving, you know, three, two beer, but it's it, and the the buffet, the food. Oh, and if you're a single guy, the women, holy cow! I mean, 
Not that I noticed, but the best part of all this is this. I brought Wendy down there one time, and she said, "I don't like this place." We do. Hey, hey, Conrad, they 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 put you up in a three bedroom suite across the street, right? Are you kidding me? Next to Ruth, Chris, I mean, three bedroom suite. I mean, it's the greatest gig of all time, and everything's free. Nobody asked for anything. The silent auction is huge. There's and stuff. Of course, you got a three bedroom suite. You're the greatest wrestler of all time. What's that? You deserve a suite, a three bedroom suite. No, one yeah. time you put me down to a bit two bedroom. I had to complain. <laughs> and finally, one of the biggest names in wrestling history sits down with Rick. They're true peers, true compadres. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin talking to Ric Flair about the time they spent together in WCW. Wait, Steve, we were talking about last night, you know, there is so much that goes into your career. And I mean, I go back and I was thinking last night about talking about you and Steamboat and how great the matches were and how in Iowa one night, Hogan and I had to go on after he and Steamboat went on in career. But then I, I go back to another incident that was great too. We were in Norfolk, Virginia. It was me and Arn Anderson against you and who? God dang it. You see, here's the thing, Rick. You remember more about my Brian. Than I, uh, That's Brian Pillman, Oh, Brian. Right? Okay. We yeah, tore yeah. it down, man. Yeah. And Arn and I didn't tag that much because he was basically Tully, but Tully had gone. And uh, we went, they put us on in Norfolk for about 30 minutes, man, and we tore the joint down. I used to love that building in Norfolk. Oh. That, was, that was a good good neck of the woods for pro wrestling. Yeah. And good times. And, man, I miss Brian to this day. Oh, Jesus. And because I, I never did really like tag team. Well, I love to watch tag team mm-hmm. wrestling because it can be so exciting when you have teams like, you know, Arn and Tully, Arn and uh, Ole, yeah. uh, the Midnights, the Rock and Rolls. Yeah. And, then, you know, we got together as Hollywood Blondes and we, were, we established this chemistry. That's when I really fell in love with it. Yeah. But that, then, you know, you always have the, the the liability of relying on your partner to stay healthy. Yeah. And so I got smoked. I tore my arm up. And anyway, they split us up. But I got a lot of fond memories of Brian. But man, Norfolk, those were back. That was back when uh, you know that old school wrestling oh, sure. was. Yeah. It was bad. And yeah. you know the the buildings were about a half to three quarters full. It wasn't like the territory was on fire. But it was one of the funnest times in my life because you were still running rough shot. Yeah. Arn was still in yeah. the ring. All the guys that I looked up to and I was sharing the same life. Well, room you with. guys crashed a flare for the gold. And it yeah. had the deal, and it worked out great. You know, the thing was, you know, sometimes, and it's only the only, I'm not even going to mention any names, but sometimes when something gets over so good, they just pull the carpet on it. And that thing got over great when you and Brian came out, and we had one match, and then nobody got hurt that night. They didn't get hurt that night, but they just took their, took the program away. Yeah, yeah, it was what it was. But, yeah. you know, hell, I went on down the road and everything happened. It turned yeah. out okay. No, it worked out great. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I was mad as a hornet because, you know, first of all, when they were going to put us into it, uh, you know, right there in Dothan, Alabama, I was about to go on a singles run with Harley Race as my manager mm-hmm. as a U.S. champion. All of a sudden, the rug got pulled out from under me, and then they put me and Brian together. We got that over, and then they yanked that out from under me. So I'm like, man, I don't know the crap or wind my watch, you know, yeah. WCW. But, you know, again, it was what it was, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy everything ended up like it did. Yeah, I mean, you went down the road, and it's kind of like, you know, I think about this, too. Hunter came to me, and he goes, um, when Hunter is like 93, and you'd already you'd already taken off. Yeah. And Hunter goes, um, you know, they offered him like 250 grand because he was Regal's partner, the, the Blue Bloods, whatever they were. And, uh, you know, Vince called him, and I go, hey, you know, it's 250 grand. He, he said, it doesn't matter, which caused one of the biggest fights I've ever had with Randy Savage, all in the same story. 
he said, I'm gone. And of course, the rest was history with Hunter. Right. Came up to join you. And I mean, everything just started falling together for them again, thank God. But Savage it came in that day. And Savage wanted to beat Hunter in like 30 seconds. I said, that ain't going to happen. Beat him where? Not in WCW? He wanted to beat him in, in, in the center stage. Oh, really? In 30 seconds. 30 seconds. On the way, got on the way out. And I said, that ain't going to happen. Savage, got, Savage and I had the worst argument of all time. Not that I had anything, but I did. You know, when you're like someone's talent, you just don't squash a guy going out the door. I mean, you know. Right. And I, I mean, I don't think it, you don't do. I don't think you do that to a guy. You know, it's kind of like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I throw another story into it when I did the, the, the favor for Kurt Henning to go back to WCW. You know, Ole says to me, "What are you worth to me now?" He just did a loser leave town last night on national TV. I said, "Ole, I'm going to show you what I'm worth to you." And I went next door to Bob Dew and I said, "It's me or him." <laughs> See, Ole. <laughs> true yeah. story. Yeah. No, I did. I mean, I mean, what, I mean, just because I, I Kenny didn't beat me in five seconds. He beat me in a twenty-minute match. It was a great match. Yeah, it went real well. And yeah. we, and I, we did a thing the week before with Santana. You know, Vince doesn't do stuff like that, right? And uh, so I, <laughs> that's when me and Ole really fell apart. He said, "You're not worth anything to me now." I mean, Jesus, uh, doing a favor for someone like Kurt Henning doesn't hurt anybody. No. Well, not, especially with this, with WCW on yeah. closing the doors, yeah, they couldn't get anything going. You know what I mean? And then, so anyway, Hunter left, and I, I had him, I had Savage wrestle arm for twenty minutes. So <laughs> when it aired, he called me and he goes, "Savage goes, that looked like shit." I blew up. I said, "Buy a stairmaster." <laughs> True story. So, so you and Hunter were friendly even back in the WCW days when he was. That's first how he in. got in, he got into business through me. Oh, I didn't realize he, that. he worked at a Gold's Gym in West in uh, Westchester, Mass. Uh, he's from Massachusetts. What the right, name right. is it? New Hampshire, New Hampshire, Westchester, New Hampshire. Right, Gold's Gym, and he came down to a Gold's Gym seminar, and that's when I had the eleven clubs in right. uh, North Carolina and South Carolina, and. Uh, that one in uh, I've had in the Caribbean for a while before the hurricane, and uh, he was working the Gold's Gym, and he came down to an uh, ACS seminar, which was American Club Systems, the management company. And of course, I, I came out of the bar entertaining as myself, right, with a balloon or something <laughs> like that. And yeah, of course. Hunter, and Hunter handed me a tape. I took the tape back, and he was in Atlanta two weeks later. That's cool. And then the great story when he walked in the door. And I, Steve, you'd already gone by then, and he walked in the door, and <laughs> Harley was sitting there. Harley was managing Vader. And he, it's a great, I, you know, Harley Race, and you love him like I do, Steve. So I go, uh, uh, Harley, this is uh, Paul Levesque is going to be Triple H. And, <laughs> and Harley goes, who trained you, kid? <laughs> and uh, this is Hunter's voice, but I always love doing this. Yeah. Killer Kowalski. <laughs> He's the shits. <laughs> true, true story. Did Harley have him with Kowalski? He didn't want Harley wasn't afraid to say what he thought. Kowalski wouldn't work. He knew that. Right. Thanks so much for listening and or watching to this week's episode, the best of Ric Flair as a podcaster. Next week, Rick's going to be back, and I'm sure he'll have something to say about what happened at Royal Rumble. Brock Lesnar winning the men's division, Ronda Rousey winning the women's. Does that mean Ronda versus Charlotte at WrestleMania? Well. It's certainly a possibility. And Orange Cassidy beat Adam Cole in a match that uh, I didn't see. And maybe I'm glad I didn't. So Rick's going to have a lot more to say next week. And we will see you right here, live from my kitchen and from Rick's penthouse apartment in Tampa here on Woo Nation Uncensored. Woo!